Hello and welcome to listening to the Open Door Philanthropy Conference Special. We brought our microphones down to the Nexus U.S. Summit this year at the United States Institute of Peace. And in plain view of the Lincoln Memorial, over the course of two days, we conducted 10 interviews with a diverse array of conference delegates. Some of our guests, like Hank Love from the American Jobs Project, were actively fundraising. And I was able to convince Hank to submit a proposal to the unfunded list that's currently under review. Other guests, like Karen Yanis, were active funders. Karen ran Oprah Winfrey's foundation for 10 years. I was able to convince Karen to join the evaluation committee. We had a bunch of other cool folks sit down with us who were a little bit harder to find. On a personal note, this was just an absolute blast for me. Uh, I got the chance to interview some of my favorite people in a beautiful setting. We had amazing conversations. I hope you'll listen and understand that these represent just a microcosm of my own participation in Nexus over the years. I've been attending this conference for almost nine years now. Each conversation you listen to here, whether I've just met our guest or known them for years, is reminiscent of hundreds of conversations I've had in the halls of Nexus over the years. People ask me often how I've built such an impressive network, uh, and I can tell you that it's because of conversations like these. At the very least, I think you'll find them entertaining. Please note that these were recorded live on site in a less than ideal acoustic circumstance. You can pretty much always hear me because I'm basically Shrek, uh, but sometimes our guests are a little bit harder to hear. We'll do our best to make transcripts available since every word of these conversations were important and interesting. Uh, but for now, I hope you enjoy. Summit here in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm sitting down here with Zachary Garber. Uh, are you, uh, where are you joining us from today, Zachary? Joining you from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. You made the drive down this I morning? Made, I, I did drive. I drove yesterday, though. Ah, so okay. I made it. Staying with a friend. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, the traffic can be, it's only 30 minutes away in theory. <laughs> right. traffic, is, traffic is definitely not ideal, and I'm definitely not the most patient, so it's you know unfortunate, but I made it. So, so are you from Baltimore? I'm originally from Baltimore County, and okay. I now live in Baltimore City. And if I remember correctly, the Baltimore question is, where did you go to high school? Wow, you really do know that. <laughs> so I, uh, that is the question. And it's very funny because people will say, where did you go to school? They won't even say high school. They don't even say this. And they just mean high school. So uh, I went to McDonough High School um, mm -hmm. and then went to Emory for undergrad and then was in New York um, afterwards in London, New York, and then went back for my MBA at Penn in Philly. And then about two and a half years ago, I moved back to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. What brought you back to, to Baltimore? So I moved back to work with my father. So I'm at Alex Brown, which is a division of Raymond James uh, in wealth management, working in uh, with my dad in my family business. Uh, that's awesome. You enjoy it? I do. You know, mm -hmm. My father hasn't fired me yet, so that's a good start. <laughs> that's good. My father is a U.S. history professor. Okay. And I tried to go to Colby College and say, like, when my dad retired, I was like, well, I'll just take over for him. Uh, but if they want you to know things about U.S. history and have a Ph.D. to do that, so... Well, on a serious <laughs> note, what I can say is when it works, there's, there's nothing better than working with family. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother is on the board of directors of my nonprofit, and I enjoy, I enjoy very much uh, working with her. And we can safely assume she listens to my podcast, so <laughs> hi, Mom. Uh, and hello, uh, Mr. Garber. Is that your, your father, Mr. That, Garber? That is my <laughs> father. My father has the same last name, so you, you're good on that one. Absolutely. 
Uh, and uh, so you've been back in Baltimore now for a couple of years. Yes. It's been an interesting couple of years in Baltimore. There's been a lot, there's a, a lot going on. That, if I remember correctly, some uh, large protests, uh, some riots, uh, issues with the police. Uh, I, uh, before that, we were talking about how I did uh, a large fundraising project in Baltimore to build the Seed School of Maryland at Southeast High School. So I'm somewhat familiar. Uh, but uh, tell me a little bit what's going on in what's going on in Baltimore these days. Yeah, so I think those are all good points, and we were talking about this before. I think Baltimore has gotten this reputation based on what happened with Freddie Gray, based on Serial, The Wire, mm. um, for being a city of plight. And there are absolutely issues, and there are things that need to be fixed. But I think that isn't necessarily just Baltimore. Um, and there are amazing things going on under the ground. And what I would say is I have my whole life changed when I moved back. The first person I met and I connected with um, was an ex-con who is accomplishing amazing things and completely changed my perspective on what I was doing and led to me creating a networking group where I try to bring together all different people from different walks of life in Baltimore. So this comes to people that are from the nonprofit world. You have NFL players, you have mm -hmm. ex-con, you have people who are artists, um, the, one of the head legal counsels for some of the companies like Under Armour part of this. And the idea is how can we share positive stories about things that are going on because it's, it's overlooked a lot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I've met a lot of young uh, hard-working nonprofit folks, social sector folks, uh, all throughout Baltimore. You know, and that, not to mention, there's social workers, nurses, uh, all sorts of teachers, uh, policemen that are in fact doing positive things in their community. There's uh, happening every day. And uh, thank you for mentioning that. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I am somewhat guilty of it. I do tend to. This has been pointed out to me before. I tend to focus on problems. Right. I think that may be uh, my uh, Jewish upbringing. Well, I'm uh, Jewish as well, so. <laughs> well, uh, the, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, I think that, <laughs> but so philanthropy is very entwined in yes. Judaism. Uh, did you have a like Sedeka box or any sort of thing like that growing up? Did you do like a mitzvah project for your bar mitzvah? A hundred percent. So we were talking about this. I'm very involved in the local Jewish federation in Baltimore known as the Associated. Um, and, you know, in Jewish law, you have to give away 10% of what mm -hmm. you have. And so I have always grown up learning that once you take care of yourself, the most important thing is to give to your community locally, make a difference locally, and then also care for humanity, the world. Um, you know, the other day I just hosted a Tu Bishvat Seder. And so for people that don't know, Tu Bishvat is the holiday for the trees. And it talks about how the environment, this earth, is all really important, and it's so intertwined in Judaism and my upbringing and who I am and comes out in the different things that I work on. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you give 10%? Do you follow that rule? Uh, you know, I guess it depends how you define it, but yes, I probably, I might give more. Um, it depends on the year, but over mm -hmm. time I hope to give a lot more than that. Uh, we did, uh, one of the interviews we did in season one uh, was with a guy who's a, a member of the Latter-day Saints, LDS Church, uh, the Mormons, uh, and he told me, I had never heard this before, the church audits them every year to make sure they're doing their 10%. So you have to show them your wow. tax returns and your to, in order to stay in good standing with the church. Uh, to, so they are all giving 10% because uh, it's absolute, it's an absolute requirement. Uh, and um, the, I mean, it's, that's really, I mean, uh, these religious uh, uh, groups, and I think it was the Jews who first came up with the 10% uh, rule. I think tithe comes from like the Aramaic 
word for 10%. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and, it's, and it's very interesting. So are you involved in, uh, in with the Associated and, and yes. Jewish organizations? In so, so I'm on the head of Impact, which is the um, young, young leaders that are involved in the Associated and started a new group called the Young Professionals Group there. Um, so I'm involved very heavily there, as well as with the JNF, with the, which is the Jewish National Fund, um, which is focused on giving in Israel and serve on the water task force there, overseeing the water investments they're making. I think hmm, water is interesting. essential. Um, if people haven't read it that are listening to this, I highly recommend you go out and read Let There Be Water by Seth Siegel. It's an incredible book, um, all about, um, you know, take away the politics, take away a lot of the issues surrounding the Middle East, surrounding Israel. Water is an essential issue in the world. How is it that this tiny country has managed to now become a net exporter of water in the world, mm -hmm. in a desert? Um, it's they have two amazing. lakes, right. and one of them is dead. Exactly. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, but that is, that is pretty I went on, I, uh, I, I didn't come up with it. When I, I went on a reality tour of Israel with the Schusterman Foundation, which I highly recommend to Great go on a cohort with them. And you do not have to be Jewish uh, to participate in that program. In fact, I think these days it's hardly any Jews at all. So I went I, to a reality Shabbat dinner in New York just mm -hmm. a, a month or two ago. It's a, it, it really is a Incredible community. But it was our tour guide there who told us, is this tiny desert country, we have two lakes. You know, it might have been actually, I think Shimon Perez said that. Because on my tour, we actually heard, we got to hear from, we were the last reality Just group to guy. hear from Shimon Perez. No, he's the one who said that. He said, we have two lakes, only one of them works. Well, he, <laughs> and it's like, it's like a foot deep. The Sea of Galilee, I swam in it. They told us not to, but we went in there anyway, of course, because we're mostly Americans. And it's not, it's not a very significant lake. Well, <laughs> but you're right, they have figured, they have, they, they're not want for water there. They figured it out. That is something that should be, we should be able to get over uh, some of those issues. That's very interesting. For folks, uh, uh, some of the people who listen might not be Jewish, although that is a large, I imagine uh, you're the same way, a large part of my network is. <laughs> uh, but uh, why don't you tell folks uh, about uh, Federation in particular? I know the Associated is one of the more active, yeah, so, well-organized federations. So the Associated in particular has a very interesting giving model. So the way they work is it's literally... Uh, just uh, take a step back. What's, uh, what is what's the federation Apolo system? Apologies. So the federation system effectively is, you know, the Jewish community is very small. You look at us as a percentage of the U.S., I think we're 2% of the population. 1% to 2%, 1 yes. 1 to 2%. It's really tiny. So we really have to help our communities. And so the federations are a way to help Jews um, locally, uh, as well as giving abroad in some other areas. But it's a way to create a support network within the different communities that are Jewish all over the country. So housing, immigration, all of these different things that you think about. Dealing with the elderly, these are a lot of things that aren't sexy, that need to be taken care of on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And these organizations are set up to be able to fulfill those needs on a sustained, ongoing basis. And it's part of, a big part of the reason that the Jewish community in the United States has been is successful as it has been is these federations in different communities. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I agree. Uh, the uh, Federation has been around for uh, about 100 years or so in this country. And back then, you know, there were hospitals that would turn us away. There were schools that wouldn't let us in. Uh, most community centers and clubs uh, weren't letting us in. 
So the federations organized that community. We built our own hospitals, built our own community centers, right? And now, if you've got cancer, you're probably going to want to go to a Jewish hospital, right? Uh, and I think you're right. I think that's just an incredible model for our small uh, community. I'm very proud to be Jewish because of the, the work the Jewish community has done here in America. Uh, but I know the, uh, when it comes, it comes to federations, and I, I've done some stuff with the Federation of the Capital Region down here. Uh, Rachel, the founder of Nexus that we're at, and I are on a committee, the Survivors Initiative, to raise money for. Uh, there are several thousand Holocaust survivors in the D.C. area who are living beneath the poverty line, yeah. which is uh, just unconscionable to me. They've been through enough. Uh, and should be able to, to die with some dignity. I and, completely agree. My, and, my grandmother is a Holocaust survivor, oh. actually. Um, her and her two sisters survived. They were interviewed by Steven Spielberg years oh, really? ago, but um, mm -hmm. incredible story. And it is entirely unconscionable that somebody who has survived so much should have to deal uh, with so many troubles at the end of their life when they really should be respected as heroes mm -hmm. and, and people that we should look after. Uh, so tell me a little bit uh, specifically about uh, the Associated, because like I said, I, as far I've dealt with a few f uh, federations, and one, uh, I've always been curious why the Associated has a different name, uh, and um, just what what is it about? Is it the, that the Baltimore community of Jews is uh, tighter knit, or it just seems like Associated has their act together? Not that the other federations are are screwing up or anything, but that the Associated really seems to be uh, top of its class. Yeah, so the Associated, I think this is important for anyone who's running any nonprofit, um, is extremely efficient. And the reason it's called the Associated is it is literally an associated network of different agencies. So what happens in a lot of these Jewish communities is there's all sorts of causes that people want to give to. And sometimes there are certain things that are hot that people want to give to, like agriculture, or there's different initiatives that are... Or in the wake of a disaster. In the wake of a disaster, all of these different things. But mm -hmm. what the Associated does is they have one centralized means of asking for money. So they ask for money, and then the Associated has um, a whole group of members that are involved that has a whole board that has a committee that then determines the allocation. And what they do is they actually support, I don't know the exact number of agencies, but effectively you only get asked once for money, it goes to the associated, and then through the associated they determine where the most means are needed mm -hmm. and allocate those funds effectively. So it's a very efficient model in terms of the way that they do it. It also allows them to scale across different agencies. So for example, you have social media, you have all these things. Rather than having a social media director for every single one of these agencies, you have one centralized system that has a calendar. You're able to also see when events are, not conflict in terms of what's going on around the community, and make sure that it's the best for everyone for the overall good. So that's where the associated comes from, and it's one of the few models left in the federation system that still operates this way, and is one of the most effective models that I know that's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very. It would be, uh, I think, a tall order to expect e even a committed philanthropist to learn the details and the needs of every single social service agency in their community. Right? And so, uh, you know, it is very, and the, the D.C. Federation works like it would be very difficult for me to learn, uh, you know, what the Partnership for Jewish Family Services is, is up to read all, all, uh, all 20 of those agencies' reports. Uh, so what are some of the agencies in Baltimore? So, uh, Jewish Community Services, JCS, Jewish Volunteer Services, there's HANA, which deals with um, domestic abuse for women, um, there's um, 
one of, one of the more interesting ones that's a little bit different. We were talking about things that are hot for the time. Pearlstone is a Jewish organic farm. Teaches Pearlstone, values. yeah, I've been yeah. there. Yeah. Pearlstone is it's great. They teach um, Jewish values and how it's related to the land, and they bring it's a retreat center for cancer patients. It's a retreat center um, and a place where people celebrate bar mitzvahs, weddings. It's also a place where they bring in inner city kids to teach them where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, my, my next question was going to be, uh, the, and I think this is something that, that uh, gets misunderstood sometimes, uh, the, almost all of the money that gets raised by the Associated uh, probably coming from Jews. There might be some, right, people who are just very friend, like just have all, a lot of friends that are Jews and like the work or like going to the events, but mostly the money comes from Jews. But the bene- the beneficiaries of these services are not entirely Jews. Is no, that correct? No, and it's the, it's the people most in need. So there's, obviously there is an emphasis on the Jewish community, but um, if you look throughout history, and particularly in Baltimore, the Jewish community and the African-American community are very entangled and entwined. You can see this throughout real estate. There's a whole book that was written not in my neighborhood about this. Um, And if you look at what's happening today, you know, look at who marched with MLK. Mm -hmm. You had um, uh, Rabbi, uh, I'm I'm blanking out on the name, this is so bad, Joshua Abram Heschel. So Rabbi Heschel was one of the people that walked in Selma. Um, and and uh, Julius Rosenwald was like the major donor of the, the guy. He's the Sears Roebuck gentleman, if I remember correctly, uh, and one of the major major uh, funders of the civil rights movement. And we still have the Julius Rosenwald schools in the area. There's some up near Baltimore and some around here. These were schools for African Americans. It's a very long yeah. uh, history of that. And, and what I would say is, it's really important that you give back to your own communities first. Remember where you came from. Um, what is important to you, and then it's important to expand beyond that and work with other people. So Mm -hmm. getting back to some of the things I'm working on right now with, um, I started this group called the Francis Scott Key Society because he wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Yes, he did. And the idea is that we should have all these different people from different backgrounds come together to cut out the superficial nature of networking. And so we bring together people from different groups of life, everyone from West Baltimore, East Baltimore, artists, NFL players, all these different people to come together four times a year. Someone gets to show off their location. Three members speak. The members are all the speakers. And they're required to share personal stories so you feel connected to them. And then they're required to shamelessly promote themselves. And as for three to five tangible things that either benefits themselves professionally, personally, or their community. Hmm. And the idea is that if you think about giving, right, providing... By asking for something, you are providing an opportunity for someone else to give. And I think it's a very efficient model and way to think about it. Um, And the the last piece I would say is part of that, I actually was talking about this with you, in order to create a platform to share some of these amazing stories that are happening in Baltimore, I just launched a podcast called Charm City Dreamers about people that are sharing their dreams and how they're actualizing them in Baltimore. Because my personal point of view is when you say you see off the plight of what's going on, that is such an opportunity because if you can take a city like Baltimore, which has such a terrible image nationally in terms of what's going on, and turn it into an image of turnaround where people are accomplishing their dreams, I think that that can be a model for expansion 
well beyond the means of just our city and well beyond just the U.S. And so you've started, you, like me, have a podcast. Yes. Uh, what, is the, what is the podcast called? It's called Charm City Dreamers. I'm officially on iTunes and Stitchers. This is Good job. very much a self-production. We've recently gone through that process. Getting, on to, getting your podcast onto iTunes is not as easy as you might think. Not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very good. One of the things they've told me is that it can be very helpful uh, for your promotion to go on other people's podcasts, so you're doing, you're doing a good job. If anyone is interested in hearing positive stories out of the city of Baltimore, Charm City Dreamers is available on iTunes and, and several other wow. uh, several other platforms. Uh, I uh, had some experience uh, a while back in Baltimore. Worked on the capital campaign for the Seed School of Maryland. We bought uh, Southwestern High School for a dollar, uh, and then we raised uh, almost a hundred million dollars um, to uh, to fix up the campus and everything. Uh, and now there's a great school there. Uh, it's a boarding public boarding school, so the kids go tuition free, uh, but stay in dorms. Uh, they go home on the weekends, stay with their families, but are there all the so they get their all their extracurricular. They get their uh, healthy meal every night. They get a quiet place to sleep uh, every evening, uh, and then a, and then a good education all day. Uh, and uh, I know of. Um, uh, that and another of uh, a number of other uh, positive stories out of the Charm yeah. City. So if uh, uh, next time I'm in Baltimore, maybe I stop by uh, and uh, we'll, I'll go into your booth. And, <laughs> absolutely, and I would say there are a couple of amazing nonprofits I'd highlight outside of the Jewish community that you should try and get on this podcast. One we were talking about is Baltimore Corpse with um, Fagan Harris. He's really a great person in terms of what he's doing. Thread with Sarah Heminger was it was featured in the New York Times. Hmm. I think they're changing the whole way we think about education. The idea is that um, kids, the integral to success is positive interactions. And a lot of these kids don't have enough positive interactions in their life to want to really participate in a positive way in society. And by creating these outside thread families where you have three to five volunteers that act as your extended family, helping you with anything you need. It's not just about that. It's not just about mentoring. But that engages people and helps them want to be part of society. Um, and the last one I would say is Volunteering Untapped. It is a nonprofit that has, there is no staff. There is no money in terms of what's going on. They uh, get two to three hundred volunteers every month at different high-impact volunteer events in Baltimore, um, and it is crazy how quickly they're growing. I think they're about to launch in Philadelphia as well as Chicago. And Seth Franz founded that. So those are just a couple of. What was that last one called? Volunteering Untapped. And what they do is they do these high-impact volunteer events for people in their 20s. And the idea is you just sign up, you don't pay, you show up. They did like the largest tree planting ever in Baltimore. And then they close it off with these giant parties where they have uh, food trucks, uh, beer, uh, music. Mm, that sounds and like fun. It's a great way to meet really attractive people that care about what's going on. <laughs> it's amazing that that seems to be the demographic. They let everyone come, but it's really great. Well, I find that if you're doing good things in your community, that you become more attractive. attractive. And and the, the opposite. The and the opposite. You can start off attractive, and if you're a terrible person, then that goes away very quickly. Yes. Uh, the uh, um, it sounds like you're up to a, uh, a lot of really great stuff. Uh, and that this probably could have become a very, very long interview. I want to—I uh, don't want to take you away from too much of the conference. Uh, I like to end all of these uh, with a couple of requests. Uh, one, if you ever have uh, a, a grant proposal you've written and you want some feedback from experts, I have 200 uh, experts on my committee. We review a proposal written from anywhere in the world and we give our best thoughts on it. 
Uh, so please uh, send us anything you're doing. And if I have anything that I think is up your alley, Baltimore related, uh, or, or Jewish or related to water in Israel or something, uh, maybe I'll shoot it over to you and you can take a look, give us some thoughts. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you interviewing me, and this was, this was my pleasure. Okay, great. Thanks. I'll let you get back to it. Thank you very much. Thank you.